Great. Well, this morning, um, I felt very much led to share something with you, and we felt that this would be a good time to share it in terms of the up-and-coming Living Free that starts on Wednesday. And, um, and uh, I'll just tell a, a just little anecdotal story for you as we were, uh, as I've been preparing for this. Um, last week, we were in the car, and Abby said to me, um, uh, she said to me, so, so uh, who's preaching this weekend? I said, oh, I am. She says, oh, what are you preaching on? And, and I, said, um, I said, Jesus. And she just laughed at me, as if that was a strange thing to be preaching on. Um, so I, I'm pleased a few people found that funny. But I thought that was very funny. I sat in the car laughing because I thought, actually, that's what we should be preaching every week, Jesus. The fact that Jesus is the reason why we're here. Jesus is alive. And really what I want to focus on this morning is to encourage each and every one of us to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on him. And I'm going to uh, do that by expounding some scripture and and looking at some um, pieces of, of things that I've really been exploring as I've been looking at this myself. Because it's something that I th- I'm preaching to myself so I think it's not something you learn, it's like something like you, you study and you get your PhD. Right, I know, I know now how to fix my eyes on Jesus, I've got my certificate. It's something that you have to do every day of your life. It's something you outwork every day of your life. And you never get there, and that's a good thing. Because we're, it's about a relationship that we have with our Saviour. It's about developing that relationship. You know, when Dave Holden came um, a few weeks ago, he talked... Uh, a little bit at the beginning about new ground. He talked a little bit about what we were about as a family of churches, and that is what we are. We're a family of churches. We're a nucleus family here in Carshalton, but we also are, there's a bigger picture. We are part of a big family, new ground, and we're God's family, and it's about relationship. So let me start um, by sharing another story with you. Um, I like to run. Does anyone else here like running? Yes. Oh, a couple of people, that's good. Um, running is really good for me. It helps me get out into the fresh air, helps me get to see the beautiful creation that God has made. And I just love it. I get to the end of it and I'm like all pumped up. I'm all ready to get on with whatever comes next. And I was out for a run uh, a couple of weeks ago as I do, and um, I'm quite fortunate, I know a lot of you know this, I live right on Epsom Common, and so literally within 10 seconds, I'm out into the common, and, I'm, and when I go for my run, this tends to be how it goes, because I see it as an opportunity to spend time with God, because, you know, it's just me, I'm on my own, and so it normally starts off with me literally going 10 to the dozen, talking to God about what I've been doing that week, what, what I've been thankful for him for, for being involved in, um, and uh, chuntering away about um, what's going on for, for, with me and Abby and, and, and the boys, Tom and Noah, and thanking him for all those things. And, and, um, and, and it gets to a point, often when I'm pretty exhausted, um, where I just go quiet, because I've pretty much said all my stuff and I'm just running. And it's normally at that moment that God starts to speak. <laughs> you know, and I think even in that, sometimes 
you know, there's, there's a word there for perhaps each one of us, that God can't start to speak until we stop speaking. You know, sometimes we can be very busy telling God about things that are going on, which is, which is great, but telling God how to do his work, you know, we can be very, very good at telling him what he needs to do and how he needs to do it. I know I'm particularly good at that. Um, I think I know better than God a lot of the times, and I'm telling him how he should be uh, outworking his purposes. But actually, when we finish speaking, then that's the time that God often starts speaking. And I found that God did that, or nine times out of ten, God does that when I'm out running. And I felt God say three things to me when I was out on this particular run. And the first thing I felt God say, and it's, this is the point of today, he said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that really just sunk into my heart. And I thought, yeah, you know what? That's so true. I really need to really get that into my heart, that that is the motivation, the drive. That's the thing that really keeps me going, keeps me getting up in the morning, keeps me getting up and doing what I do, keeping my eyes fixed on him. That's the first thing. The second thing I felt God say is keep going. Keep persevering. Now, we all know that's written in the Bible. It's very much there. But it was just like, that was the word of God for me for that moment. Keep persevering in the things that you're doing. You're doing great. Just keep going. Well done. And then the third thing I felt God say was this. When you fall, it's okay. Come on, let me help you get up. Come on, get up again and keep going. Because when you're running, it's very easy to trip and fall and take a bit of a tumble. You know what? And it's the best thing to do is just get yourself back up and just keep going. And so those are the three things. And I felt like that God wanted me to share those with you this morning. And my heart is that, that, that you will grasp something new or be refreshed with what it means to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because I think that is the key to Christian living, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, that Jesus is the focus of all that we do, of everything that we are. He is the one in whom we set our sights on. He's the one that we give our full attention to. We look to him. We don't look to anything else. We don't get distracted by anything else. There are so many distractions in our culture today, so many, but that my heart cries for all of us to keep our eyes, to go back daily to our first love, to go back to that loving relationship with Jesus, to see him not with our natural eyes, but with our hearts. So I just want to spend um, some time this morning, I've got 25 minutes, to really help each one of us connect again and fix our gaze on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the the man that's redeemed us, the man that saved us from sin, the man that was in the beginning, the man that's with us now by his spirit, and the man will come again in glory. Now, just before I really get into the word today, I just want us to close our eyes for a moment. Okay, so can we all do that as we just ponder Jesus, fixing our eyes on him? And I just want to encourage you that if you've come here this morning 
with some, something that has been difficult, um, a worry, a trouble, maybe a, a physical pain that some of, somebody might have here, a frustration, maybe um, shame, something you've done, maybe a fear that you've got something coming up or something that you are anxious about, then I just encourage you right now to put them at the feet of Jesus. Just imagine Jesus sitting with Jesus and just laying it down. It's like Jesus is saying to you, look, look just, just give that to me. Come and sit with me. Just lay that down and sit and look at me with the eyes of your heart. Fix your gaze on me. Lift your eyes. Don't look at that. You've put that down. Just leave that there. Jesus says, I've got that. And he's saying, look at me. Delight and savor in me the person of Jesus. Jesus, your friend, your companion. He's your confidence. He's the one in whom you can trust. You can trust him right now. Just lay that down and look at him. Okay, great. You can open your eyes now. So, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at Hebrews 1, and we're going to look at the first three verses, and I just want to unpack those verses just a little to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So if you wanted to turn to Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, the words are up there, but I'm just going to read it from my NIV uh, Bible here. So um, here we go. In the past... God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hallelujah. His son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Hallelujah. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now the reason we fix our eyes on Jesus is because it's right to. Because we've just read together. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the way to know God. Jesus is the way that we find hope and joy in life. It's through Jesus. You know, we read that Jesus in the scripture is the heir of all things. Jesus is the exact representation of God. This man, Jesus, who came to earth, who lived on earth 2,000 years ago, is the exact representation of God. He's the one that sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is doing that as we speak. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one through whom God made the universe. And let's just consider that bit for a moment. You know, I, when I was contemplating this, I, th- I first thought of the conversation between God the Father and Jesus might have gone a bit like this. Jesus, this is God speaking, by the way. Jesus If you make the stars, I'll make the planets. Is that a deal? No, they wouldn't have talked like that. And the reason they wouldn't have talked like that, that that wouldn't have been the conversation of the Godhead about creation. Because we read in this passage that it was through Jesus that God made the universe. They didn't go off and do their separate bits of creating. 
It was God the Father and his Son coming together with the Holy Spirit, ready to pounce into action. It's the Father coming to the Son. And he talks to his Son. And he says, okay, Son, I've got this idea. How about we, we cre- let's create. What do you think? You know, and I can just imagine the, the Son going, great idea, Dad. Let's do it. You know, there's this great relationship within the Godhead, between the Father and the Son. You know, and then, I don't know who comes up with the idea of, of creating light. God the Father says, how about light? And then Jesus goes, yeah, great, let's do it. How about water? You know, mix a bit of hydrogen and oxygen. And then water. And then, you know, we know the Genesis story. Animals, creatures. Adam gets to name them. That's a privilege in itself. So what next do we have in this passage? We've got Jesus. It says, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. Jesus, the one we fix our eyes, the one we worship, is the radiance of God's glory. Now, what does that mean? (laughs) You know, the radiance of God's glory. I don't know about you, but... I don't know, there might not be something you necessarily impact you at six o'clock on a Monday morning as you leave for work. I don't know, who gets up at six on a Monday morning to leave for work? Anyone get up earlier? What time? 5.30. My word. How about that? 5.30 for work on a Monday morning. Are you impacted with ra- Jesus' radiance of God's glory at 5.30 in the morning? I know I wouldn't be. I'd be like, oh, focused on breakfast, getting out of the house. But I think there's something of being throughout our week every day, just the radiance of Jesus, the fact that he represents the exactness of God to permeate every moment of every day of our life, that the son of all creation radiates God's glory. He radiates something of God's awesome greatness, God's magnificence, his great beauty, You know, what splendor, what elegance is found in this man that radiates God's glory. You know, this is why we fix our eyes on Jesus, because he radiates God's glory. You know, just allow the Holy Spirit to just deepen your heart knowledge, the eyes of your heart, to see the beauty of Jesus afresh. Um. Most of you know of a guy called John Piper. He's a pastor over in America, and he writes various things. And, and he's somebody that, um, that really, I feel, understands what it means to know Jesus and the beauty of Jesus. And he emanates, and he, he talks about it in such a passionate way that it's almost contagious. And he wrote this book, and, um, and I would fully recommend it, it's called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I've got a couple of quotes from that book which I want to share with you this morning. And he says this about Jesus. Well, he says this about actually the glory of God, but Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. So it refers to Jesus. He says this, We were made to know and treasure the glory of God above all things. And when we trade the treasure for images, everything is disordered. And I really like this bit. The sun of God's glory was made to shine at the center of the solar system of our soul. I'll just read that again. 
The sun of God's glory was made to shine at the centre of the solar system of our soul. And when it does, all the planets of our life are held in their proper orbit. But when the sun is displaced, everything flies apart. You know, the universe is held together quite precariously, but it's held together. It's God that holds it together. He perfectly holds it together in the way that it is. I'm no scientist, but I know it's a miracle that the universe exists the way it does. But the sun is displaced for a moment, everything would just fall apart. And then John Piper says this, The healing of the soul begins by restoring the glory of God to its flaming, all-attractive place at the center of our souls. That's true. Jesus, when he's at the center of our souls, and the glory of God in its flaming, his love and his power and his goodness at the center of who we are, it's amazing how life just seems to be together. He goes on to say that what is the end point, the highest good of the gospel? Is it redemption? Is it forgiveness, justification, reconciliation, sanctification, adoption? Lots of big topics that we would cover and teach. All of these are great things. But are all of these great wonders simply a means to something greater? Something that Jesus himself asked his Father in heaven to give us. And this is what it says in John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me. To see something of God's glory. To see something greater than the knowledge of what it means to be adopted and justified. These are great things. But that we would see the glory of Jesus. That we would see the glory of Jesus in our hearts is what the Father asked is what Jesus asked the Father in heaven to give us. Our goal in life is to see something of Christ's glory and going on seeing it ever brighter, ever more delightful and wonderful. It says in 2 Corinthians 13, 18, we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. That's truth. We are being changed. But you know, there's a, there's something wonderful. When you're in relationship with somebody, you just want more. It's such a wonderful thing to know Jesus and fix your eyes on him and to know the confidence of being his child, that you see his glory, that you see the glory of Jesus. How is your eyesight today? Do you see Jesus? How easy do you find it to fix your eyes on him? So if we look back in uh, at Hebrews 1, and then we, we look at verse 3, it goes on to say, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now he sat down as a symbolic act that the purification for sin was over. It was finished. It's done. And now I just want to take a moment to wonder at this truth and to remind us of this wonderful truth, that it's done, that sin is finished with, it's completed, that it no longer has any power over us. It is defeated by Christ's death on the cross. If you know Christ, if you know Jesus through repentance, 
faith and receiving him as your Lord and Saviour, then you can stand tall. You can stand confident. You can even come before this mighty, holy, living God. You can come as bold as lions, as sons and daughters. We fix our eyes on Jesus because we know that there's nothing that stands between us and a relationship with him. The finished work of Christ is that Satan is defeated. Satan has no power. He has no power. It's true. He has no power to accuse us, to lie to us, because that's what he likes to do. He likes us to believe lies. And it's easy to do. It is really easy. Satan deceives us, but... He doesn't need to do that anymore because of Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Sin no longer needs to keep us bound. The law has been satisfied in Christ. That's the truth. You know, we've sinned. We have. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, we may sin again, and I'm no doubt that I will sin before the end of the day. But you know, the shed blood of Jesus, which Jesus gave up on the cross, has washed us. It's purified us. You know, I'm purified. You know, that's the great truth of the Christian life, is I am washed clean. Hallelujah. Are you washed clean? A few nods. (laughs) Yeah, you are. You're washed clean. You know, you can be who you want to be in God. That's a wonderful celebration thing to rejoice about. That is. (laughs) Yeah, so God no longer looks on my sin, right? He doesn't look on it. What does he look on? He looks on Jesus' blood. You know, that blood is true when he died, as it is today. You know, when we take communion, it's a great way to remind ourselves that that blood has washed me clean. I'm clean. Hallelujah. Do you know, I'd love a few more amens or something to sort of feel like, you know, yes, you agree. (laughs) Ask it again. again. What question to ask? (laughs) Right, are you clean? Hallelujah. Amen. Right, let me do, I'll look for an amen in a minute and then we'll we'll get some uh, response. Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? (laughs) A bit more. That's good. It's getting there, right. Um... You know, the spiritual battle we fight as Christians, it's been won, hasn't it? Yes. Absolutely, yes. The victory is Christ's. Very good, thank you. Jesus is won. He's won. The victory is his. That's why we fix our eyes on him. You know, he's called each one of us for purpose, for plan. You know, but this is the thing, right? There is a victor. Jesus is the victor. But the battle is still raging. And I think that's what we all feel. We feel the battle. You know, we've got the scars. We've got the, you know, we, you know, we've had amputations. We've been exploded upon. You know, there is a battle still raging. You know, we hold on to the confident hope that there is a, there is a time when Jesus will return. But that time is not yet. But there's a reason for that. There is a reason for it. And, you know, with this battle still going on, The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, and I've got a question here that, um, it's a rhetorical question, this one. Um, Why is it 
that Satan still roams and there's so much freedom still here. You know, even though he's defeated, we know that Satan's defeated on the cross. Why is it that he still has so much freedom? And I refer to John Piper again. This is what John Piper says in this book. He says that the weapons of sin and law that Satan would use to condemn us, accuse us, and oppress us are taken out of his hands. Just been talking about that. They're out of his hands now. He doesn't have those weapons anymore. Because we know in Christ we can find freedom, you know, find freedom from the lies, from fear, from doubt, because of Jesus. Those weapons are taken out. So this is not John Piper, that's me. So John Piper goes on and says, he cannot use them to condemn the people of God. He is a defeated foe. He's disarmed. Christ has triumphed over him, not putting him out of existence, but by letting him live and watch millions of saints find forgiveness for their sin and turn their back on Satan because of the greater glory of the grace of Christ. Amen. There's a greater glory of the grace of Christ that is available now because of what Jesus did on the cross. That glory is available to every human being who turns to Christ, who turns to him, who trusts in the power of salvation and the power of the cross and the power of Jesus' blood. And God wants all to come to know that wonderful power in their hearts, that wonderful truth, through repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance and faith. The enemy wants to rob you. He still does. The weapons that we use are not the weapons of Satan. We fight with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling in us spurs us, encourages us with the truth of who Jesus is. Hmm. Now, I just want to spend a few moments. I've got five minutes, and I'm only halfway through. I thought I'd spend too long on this bit. But just spend three, I just want to spend a moment looking at three different ways we can react to the battle that is before us, the battle we find ourselves in. The first way we can react is we blame God for all the things that go wrong. We blame God, or maybe we don't, maybe we know people that do blame God. You know, your conversation with God might go a bit like, um, you know, <laughs> I, was, I wanted to try and be angry here, but I'm not very good at pretending to be angry. I can be very angry. I mean, ask Abby when I get angry. But, but it's, it's just, you know, you just, maybe you're on your own and you're just shouting, you're just throwing things and you're, you know, David was good at expressing his emotion to God. Reading the Psalms, I was reading Psalm 4 this morning. He starts off by being very expressive to God about how he was feeling. You know, God, why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? There you go, there's a bit of uh, performing. Why, God? You know, we can, you know, you can get really angry. You know, that's one way we can react to this battle. You can blame God. Another way, we can, what we can do is blame others. You know, that's, this is one I've used historically. I, I blame other people for the things that go wrong. You know, the monologue in our heads as Christians might go a bit like this. I'll, I'll give you blooming battle. You know, right, where's this sword? Where's this? I'll give you Ephesians 6. Where's the sword of this... Take this sword of the Spirit and I'll bash you over the head with it. You know, we, we blame others for things that go wrong. And the one thing which I think is, is quite common, I think, among Christians, is we blame ourselves for the things that go wrong. Because, you know, actually it's easy, probably easiest to blame yourself, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it's all my fault. 
And I knew I shouldn't have got out this morning. <laughs> Such a failure. I'm so sad. Victory. I don't see no victory. I can't do it. It's too hard. I'm going back to bed. You know, we, we can blame ourselves. We can feel sorry for ourselves. You know, self-pity. The reason I can add that one probably the best is... <laughs> It's a common one in my life. You know, I just want to bury my head. Oh. You know, make a good cup of tea. That'll fix everything. You know, things go wrong. You know, we're in a broken world. They will continue to go wrong. But my encouragement is to all of us is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on him. There's great treasure to be found as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we put our hope in him. Let's lift our spiritual eyes. You know, if, as we do, we'll see the world differently. We'll see with an eternal perspective. There's an eternal perspective to God's plans that he really wants to share with us. And it's taking that time to hear him and to hear what he wants to say and how he wants to use our difficulties to display his glory. You know, um, the Living Free starts on Wednesday, and I'm quite excited about this. I think it'll be an opportunity um, for us to grow in our love and compassion and generosity towards each other. It's a great time to gather as a family. Um, but also it's a great time to really press into how we can grow in understanding our identity in Christ. Well, you know, each evening when we meet together, we have a time of worship, but we'll have times of teaching where we're going to look at our identity in Christ. We're going to look at our authority that we have in Christ that we can know and walk in. We'll be exploring what it means to hear from God. There'll be lots of practical opportunities to do things together in small groups, but individually, and just processing things with God. But there'll be opportunities to grow practically and proactively in, our, in walking greater freedom in our daily lives. So can I encourage all of you to come along on Wednesday, 745 if, if, I wanted to say this as well. If, if any way that you felt disconnected in church, if you felt like, you know, I'm on the edge, I, I really don't know how to get plugged in, then actually this course could be a good way of doing that. So I encourage you to come along Wednesday, 7.45 here at Highfield Hall. You know, and also, you know, it's a time of um, pressing into God and, and I've really been stirred to pray into it. So we've had a number of prayer meetings for Living Free. And we've had various words and pictures that have come. And some of them um, might be for you. So I'd encourage you to come and hear what those prophetic words were. But I'm going to give you a little snippet of a couple of them now. One of them was that really we feel God wants to bring some lamps that have been under pots for a long time. God wants to take the pot off and allow the light to shine brightly. There was one picture of broken pots being repaired with gold that as those broken bits were repaired, the gold might shine and this wonderful pot and the wonderful people would represent something of Christ's glory. Oh. There was a sense as well that there would be, that Jesus the shepherd, there'd be a safe place, a place of care, a place of nurture, a place where people could really come and experience more of God, a place where people find new birth. And the one picture, um, the last picture I will share was of an aeroplane being under cloud cover, for sort of flying under cloud cover. 
And through the living free, just that aeroplane being able to shoot above the clouds and seeing the beautiful sunshine and enjoying the view. So it starts this Wednesday. Please come along. <laughs> Lovely to see you. And finally, from this passage, I'm going to um, just briefly allude to, it says in verse 3 that we see Jesus seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The majesty in heaven. Picture that. Angels upon angels around the throne of God, worshipping the King of glory. There is Jesus now seated among this great assembly in heaven. What's Jesus doing there, you may ask? Well, he's interceding for each one of us. He's preparing a place for each one of us who trusts in him. He's being our advocate. He's standing in the gap every time we sin. He stands in that gap. And he's residing in each one of us by his Holy Spirit as we allow him to change us and work in our lives. You know, the more we give of our lives to Jesus, the more we will become the people he's called us to be. Free, called for purpose. You know, Jesus is pretty awesome. He's pretty awesome. And he's the one that we fix our gaze upon. And I just want to allude, before I finish, very briefly to the two other things I felt God speak to me about on that run that I mentioned at the beginning. The first was keep going, keep persevering. And the second was if you fall, it's okay. Come on, let me help you up and get back up again and keep going. Getting back up again is all about recognizing that sometimes we do get it wrong and that's okay. Sometimes, you know, we get it wrong. And let's be humble. Let's take God's hand and get back on our feet again and trust him because he's worth trusting. He's worth trusting. You know, as we read in Hebrews, Hebrews is a great book that really has a lot of ways of helping us fix our eyes on Jesus. It says in chapter 4, um, you know, and verses 14 to 16, which I think it might come up on the screen, but there's a part of that, and I just wanted to hone in on. It says this, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Then in chapter 10, it also says, Let us draw near to God with full assurance that faith brings. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And I think there's another couple of verses there which I might just ask John to just put on the screen. God calls us to persevere. God calls us to pick ourselves up, trust in him, fix our eyes on him, and know that he is with us. You know, it's the promise for each one of us that he is with us, that as we set our eyes on him, we will not grow weary or lose heart, as it says in that last verse. We will not grow weary or lose heart. You know, it's the exciting journey of trusting in Jesus, of living our lives for him. We have a wonderful eternity with him. He has a room for every one of us in heaven, ready. He's making it ready for us. Let's live for him. Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's draw on the Holy Spirit each and every day. He promised to send the Holy Spirit, and he did. Pentecost. Woohoo! The Holy Spirit is here. He's with us. He's amongst us. And the best is yet to come. 
You know, God wants us to overcome disappointment and discouragement. You know, he's got healing for us. He's got restoration for us. If there are things that are in your life that you are struggling with, he wants to take them, as we did at the beginning. He wants to take them from you for you to be able to fix your eyes and know your confidence in him. Keep reminding yourself of truth. I feel like today, moments I've stopped. And the reason I stop is because I want to allow the truth of God to penetrate our hearts. Because the truth will penetrate your hearts if you allow it to. But you've got to lay those things down at Jesus' feet to take up the truth. To hold the truth, you've got to let go of what's in your hands. And when you hold the truth, wow, who knows what will happen? Because the truth will set you free. Wonderful. Should we stop there? I think so. Should we stand? And let's, I'll pray for us all, and then I'll hand over to Tim. Father God, I thank you for your wonderful truth. I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And I thank you for that reminder this morning to fix our gaze onto you, to look to you, Jesus, in all that you are, that we might be all that you want us to become. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. Hallelujah. Amen.